0: Morning everyone. Please rise for the word of God. Today we're reading from John 2 verses 1 to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Now in another, I got a note here from time when I looked at this, and uh, whoever was teaching it said that it was set with said with warm sentiment it wasn't like mom his mother said to the servants do whatever he tells you nearby stood six stone water jars the kind used by the jews for ceremonial washing each holding from 20 to 30 gallons jesus said to the servants fill the jars with water so they filled them to the brim But you have saved the last or the best till now. This is the first of his miracle miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Now the notes in my Bible were just saying that John often referred to Jesus' miracles always as signs, because he was note- he was emphasizing the action of the miracles not just the miracles themselves may these words be added to your heart may you be confessed with your sins so that we may receive the word of god today please be seated
1: It is my privilege to start a new series today, that, uh, a three part series entitled Coming Home. And we're going to be looking at three passages in the Gospels where Jesus came into somebody's home, where he was invited into their family setting. And we want to find out what happened, what impact did he make, how did the people respond? And what does that mean for us today? Because Jesus still wants to affect our homes and enrich our relationships. Not just temporarily, but in a lasting and in an unforgettable way. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house and to just experience worship. And to know that you are the God who gives us all that we need to live lives effectively by your spirit. So open our eyes, Lord, open our minds so that we can receive your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you look at the homes in our society, you see evidence that the nefarious character Jesus described in John chapter 10 has been at work. Jesus said, the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. It's obvious the enemy has had an impact on many homes, both in our neighborhoods and even in our churches. You can still see the hoof print at the back door where the husband gave the devil a foothold when he allowed the sun to set on unresolved anger. In one of his books, David Augsburger depicts a familiar scene where the wife is standing at the stove And she's stewing emotionally, waiting for the husband to come home. She's warming over last night's feud and stirring up this evening's big beef. That was obviously not a vegan household. And then there's all the conflicts between parents and children that vent their rage at point-blank range. What an opportunity for the thief. It was not supposed to be like this. Something is missing. You see, that's what happens whenever the thief is operating in a certain area. Things go missing. Family treasures like faithfulness and respect disappear. All of a sudden, we're facing severe shortages in vital commodities like hope and forgiveness. Jesus said, the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full we talk about abundant life as well in, in terms of this passage. I came that you might have life more abundantly. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to have life to the full? Well, obviously, it means there's something more than what we're experiencing right now. So let's visit a home where we find out how that happens even today. On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan, Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. In those days, uh, wedding celebrations would probably last for an entire week. The guest list would include everybody for miles around. So you can imagine how these festivities could strain the resources of the local caterer. Verse 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Now that's almost as bad as running out of coffee at a church potluck. That's serious enough for an anxiety attack. They have no more wine. If you delete the last word, you hear the eulogy that's pronounced in many uh, offices of marriage counselors across the land. They have no more hope. Every marriage, every home experiences shortages at some time. So is there something missing? The thief comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. So it's obviously all his fault. The devil made me do it. That was Eve's alibi. But Satan can't do very much damage without our cooperation and permission. The main reason these shortages develop is because we are selfish people. This is a lesson that I learned at seminary, but it wasn't part of the curriculum. It was more of an extracurricular field ed experience. So let me tell you about my most embarrassing moment. It happened in the dorm rooms. I was talking to a friend across the hall. I don't remember the topic. It may not have been theological. But he interrupted my train of thought and declared in a loud, clear voice, Kozlowski, you are the most conceited person I have ever met. Wow, his face was red with indignation. And the words echoed down the hall, conceited, conceited, conceited. Everybody heard it. I didn't have time to put up my deflector shield. I was not wearing my bulletproof vest. It hit me so hard, I just staggered back. I went to my room, I closed the door, I was so embarrassed. I'm gonna to have to renounce this cruel world and go as a mystic. The first thought actually that came to me was, wow, this seminary must have extremely low standards for their admissions. How did a moron like that qualify for a master's program? His IQ must be about the same as his age. What's his problem? That guy needs some filters. It's one of those unfortunate things you, I guess, try to shake off and then go on with your life. But I was so angry, and I began to think of ways I could retaliate, or at least defend myself. I mean, he was obviously wrong. And then all of a sudden, I had an epiphany, a moment of clarity. And I realized, to my complete surprise, he was absolutely right. He was absolutely right. I am the most conceited. I am the world's heavyweight champion of conceit. You see, he wasn't just a farm boy who'd never been out of Corn County, Nebraska. He was born in Asia. He'd homes or he was uh, out in a public school in England. So he he had, from a depth of experience around the world, and using a scientific sampling that was worldwide, had concluded that I was the most conceited person he'd ever met. It was incredible. I was busted. But the amazing thing to me was that no one had ever told me that before. They saw it, but they didn't say anything. So for 24 years, I was oblivious to my most obvious flaw. That was a painful but very accurate diagnosis, and it didn't cost me anything except my reputation. That was the most important lesson that I learned at seminary. You see, as sinners, we are self-centered people. Selfishness is our default setting. We tend to consume more than we can contribute. And although we may camouflage it and disguise it and domesticate it, it's still selfishness at the core. And it's this selfishness that creates shortages in our most important relationships. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Have you ever been to a wedding where they ran out of food? Could happen. Because the best wedding receptions are Italians. They are amazing, but you never know who's going to show up. They don't tell you. They just bring all their third cousins. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. What do you mean there's no more pasta? It's like having all your Facebook friends show up at your house for supper. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Was Mary the wedding planner? Why why was she concerned about this? Mary didn't even go to the host who was responsible for the shortage. She went to Jesus. But what could he do? Jesus said, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Up to this time, Jesus had not performed any miracles. And that's really the only thing that would solve a problem like this. Sometimes in our homes, things can get so bad that it would take a miracle. But Jesus hadn't done any miracles before, so it sounds like he wasn't quite ready. My time has not yet come. But here was an obvious need. Could he ignore it? Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. That's the solution to every problem we have in our lives and in our families. Every conflict at school or at work, do whatever he tells you. No matter how bad a situation is, no matter how bad a relationship is, as long as there's one person who is responding to God, there's still hope. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim Then he told them, now draw some water out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. The first miracle, water had been turned into wine. Jesus often used the most ordinary substances for his miracles, a loaf of bread, some mud, even water. Now, there's nothing that special about water. It's certainly necessary for our survival. We can't endure without water. But water isn't really that interesting. It's colorless. It's odorless. It's just water. At least ice-cold water is refreshing, but lukewarm water isn't too inspiring. And that's sometimes how our marriages develop. You know, they, they start out with celebration, And then they kind of become lukewarm after a while. They deteriorate into a series of chores. Uh, You wash the dishes and I'll take out the garbage. I'll do the laundry if you cut the lawn. The champagne can get replaced by water. Well, Jesus is somebody who can change that water into wine. At Cana, there was plenty of water but no wine until the miracle. Now, I'm not somebody who appreciates wine. I don't drink beer. I don't drink any alcohol. So I have to do this by faith. But I know that in the Jewish culture, wine was synonymous with joy. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7, go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2, your love is more delightful than wine. Psalm 104, verse 15, wine that gladdens the heart of man. When you had a celebration, you killed the fatted calf, you poured out the wine, and you rejoiced. Now, of course, the Bible is strictly against drunkenness, but a cup of wine brought out the flavor in any festivity. It was part of every celebration. Nobody said, let's celebrate, here, have some water. We need water to survive, we need it to endure, but is that all there is? Are we just enduring our marriages or in our families, or are we thoroughly enjoying them? It's Jesus who changes water into wine. So if wine symbolizes joy, isn't that something we could all use more of? Is that perhaps where the shortage is in our lives, in our families, in our relationships, or even in our church? Could we use more joy? The good news is that Jesus changes the water of ordinary circumstances into a celebration of joy. And he does it through a process called transformation See, without Christ, our lives are kind of like water, but it's contaminated, polluted water. Sin makes us toxic. But Jesus can purify us and transform us. As Christians, we are being transformed from conceited, self-centered, self-pitying sinners. 2 Corinthians five seventeen: If anyone is in Christ, they're new creations. The old is gone. The new is come. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. We are being transformed. Jesus is changing water into wine. Transformation is a process that changes selfishness into spirit-filled living. And you can kind of tell how far along in this transformation process you are if you're brutally honest with yourself and say, how much of my life is about me and what I want and how much is it about the Holy Spirit who does God's will? Jesus came that we might have life to the full. But what does that mean? Full of what? Well, here's the best answer. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's the answer. Jesus came that we might have life to the full. Full of what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled means to be controlled. Those who are drunk are controlled by wine, by the drunkenness of the wine. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit are controlled by God. And the consequences of that are a transformed life. And the transformed life looks like this. Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what the Holy Spirit produces in selfish, conceited sinners. Now, when you look at those qualities, is any of that on your resume? We've seen over recent years sports heroes like Ben Johnson and Lance Armstrong... ...exposed for taking performance-enhancing drugs. They wanted to somehow use chemicals to improve their strength and their stamina. Well, in the Christian life, we don't need steroids. What we need is the Spirit. Because the Spirit does more than just enhance our ability to live a righteous life. We are now new creations. Listen to this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Do we need any more than that? Do we need to supplement that somehow? What we need is the Holy Spirit who produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, et cetera, et cetera. And those people who display these qualities are the most interesting people in the whole world. You never get tired of them. Now, in the eyes of the media, celebrities and sports heroes are considered so interesting and photogenic that media hives send out swarms of paparazzi to... Follow them and document their every move. Oh, look at that. DiCaprio went to a restaurant. Kim Kardashian went shopping. Wow, isn't that awesome? Now they may be glamorous, they may have charm and cleverness and, and curves, but often their character is about as thin as their tan. In real life, their ego and selfishness gets, selfishness gets very tiring. That's why they can't hold a marriage together for more than a couple of years. Not even Brad, Brad Pitt and Angela Jolie. Self-centered people bore easily. And people get bored of them rather quickly as well. Our selfishness is the least interesting thing about us. The most interesting thing about you is not you. It's how you are being transformed into the image of Christ. The most interesting person that I know is a senior citizen in her 80s who through a lifetime of self-sacrifice has developed such a loving disposition it just blesses everyone who comes into contact with her. She happens to be my mother-in-law. I wish I could be more like that. She's the most interesting person I have ever seen. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit will develop the fruit of the Holy Spirit and they become the most interesting and most important people in all the world. How would it affect your family if you had more love? If you had more joy, more peace, more patience? That's the working definition of the abundant life. Give the Holy Spirit Control, because he turns the lukewarm tap water of our basic personality into the refreshing wine of contagious joy through the fermentation process of spiritual maturity. Verse 9 says, He did not realize that where this had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. In such a celebration, they would serve the best wine when the guests could still recognize the difference. Later on, they'd bring out the cheap wine because nobody would notice. That's kind of an illustration of uh, life without Christ. Because we can start off fast and fabulous But it's difficult to keep the quality of life, the adrenaline pumping. We get bored. People get bored with us. Without Christ, marriages will suffer depreciation. We lose some of that carbonation. But with Christ, it's exactly the opposite. Because he saves the best for last. That's why, like wine... Our marriages can improve with age. Our relationships can improve. After 41 years, I'm not just enduring my marriage. I am enjoying it more than ever. I think we kind of expect as we get older, our health is going to deteriorate, and so everything else sort of goes downhill. But that's not biblical at all. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, therefore it says... We do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. There's two basic facts about our future. In our future, we are going to be outwardly wasting away, which is true. We can verify that. Our doctor can provide the facts that we are wasting away, but... The other fact is that while this is happening, inwardly, we can be renewed day by day. That's only possible, of course, through the Holy Spirit. If he controls our lives, then our best years are yet to come. So what could your future look like? What are your dreams, your life goals? How realistic are they? Or more importantly, how do they align with God's will? Because as we get older, we often have to revise our expectations. A few years ago, I I came across a reality check for myself. I realized, you know, I'm never going to see the butterfly forest of Mexico. I'm never going to be able to visit Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. I'm never going to get to the Singapore Zoo. I probably will never have a book published. And I'll never capture Drowsy and Squirtle in Pokemon Go, but that's okay. (laughs) I could spend the rest of my life feeling sorry for myself, for all of the missed opportunities, for my declining health, but I don't want to be defined by outwardly wasting away. That's not the important part. I don't want to be defined by that. I want to be defined by being inwardly renewed. So what I did is I revised my bucket list. If the Bible is true, that we can be inwardly renewed day by day, if it's true that Jesus saves the best for last, then I want to spend my remaining time by becoming the most grateful, most positive, most encouraging person in my family. Not the most conceited or self-centered because that doesn't do anyone any good. I don't need to be the smartest person in the room, but I want to be the most positive. Now, that's not easy. So for that, I do need lots of divine intervention. But in my remaining years, my number one goal is I want to encourage people. I want to encourage churches. I want to have the opportunity opportunity to encourage pastors for heaven's sake i mean this literally for heaven's sake i have the holy spirit so there's a lot more on tap inside of me than i've ever poured out you know they claim we only use 10% of our brain could you imagine what it would we be like if we could use the other 60% we only use a fraction The same thing is true of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There's so much more inside that's not getting out because I always seem to get in the way. I I want my tombstone to read, He saved the best for last. Because that's what God is up to. And that's only possible through the Holy Spirit. In fact, Romans 5.5 says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit Whom he has given us. He's already poured out his love into our hearts. All anybody ever gets from me is sort of an occasional gush every now and then. What if I found a way to open the floodgates and to just let that pour through? Jesus is still changing water into wine. So I want to challenge you. Don't let your limitations or your weaknesses or your disappointments define who you are. Instead, open up the floodgates and let what God has poured into your heart overflow into your family and into your church family. And here's the first step. Before you leave today, Encourage two people you don't normally talk to. That's the first step. You see, Jesus promised us life to the full. And that promise is fulfilled when we are filled by the Holy Spirit. When we give him control, things really get interesting. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are at work in our lives, and that you are doing things that uh, change our personality, change us from self-centered, selfish people into those who have compassion for others and to those that encourage others, to people that bear each other's burdens. People that uh, love one another, forgive one another, pray for one another. Father, thank you that this is already happening in this church family. But we just want to see even more of that take place. Because there's a lot more inside of us that has ever come out. We want that to happen in our families, we want that to happen in all of our most important relationships. Lord, may we be open channels so that we can truly know what it means to live life to the full, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for the closing song.